The Word of God from Mark. On the following day, when they came from Bethany, he was hungry. And seeing in the distance a fig tree in leaf, he went to see if he could find anything on it. When he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. And he said to it, May no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard it. As they passed by in the morning, they saw the fig tree withered away to its roots. And Peter remembered and said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree that you have cursed has withered. And Jesus answered them, Have faith in God. Truly, I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. And whenever you stand praying, forgive, if you have anything against anyone, so that your Father also, who is in heaven, may forgive you your trespasses. Altogether, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Would you remain standing as we commit this time to the Lord in prayer? Heavenly Father, we need you through your spirit to be with us in a special way because we're stubborn. But you are kind and you are merciful. And we're not trying to presume on your presence, Lord, but be with us, soften us, that we would know your word and that we would love Jesus, the crucified one, our savior, your son, amen. You may be seated. Well, good morning, Denver Prez. I'm Ronnie. Thanks, Sean. It's really my joy to be with you. So I have good news. Uh, we've arrived at a text for cynics. I know not, not, not everyone struggles with cynicism, but this is Denver, you know? Uh, it's kind of a, the water we're drinking. So for the last three months, we have been studying the gospel of Mark. And uh, Mark is interesting uh, because it begins in chapter one with Jesus beginning inaugurating his public ministry, right? He's baptized, which is like his crowning. And then he's like off to the races, Jesus heals people. He forgives people. He feeds people miraculously. He teaches in parables. And he's becoming increasingly popular. But with his fame, he makes a few enemies. Now, to date, Jesus has been careful and he's often speaking cryptically because although his mission is to die for the sins of the world, He's working out the timing because he still has some things to teach his disciples and to teach us. So today, Jesus is going to teach us about faith in the most surprising way. So you ask, how is this a sermon for cynics? Well, today, Jesus is going to teach us about faith, but true faith, true faith. My experience is that we all have so much suspicion about faith, and, and, and you know, for good reason. Right, for good reason. So against religious people, we ask, like, how in the world 
do millions of people tune in into like these TV televangelists like with these big hair and just like open up their wallets to them, making like the commercialization of the church one of the biggest industries in the United States. Like it's weird. It is. Most people are totally cynical about it and they should be, honestly. Uh, but listen, non-religious people, they're not off the hook. Uh, they employ their own kind of faith, you know, for a certain demographic. Tony Robbins, anyone? There's a few of you know who I'm talking about. Um, or how many times have you seen on Facebook or Instagram or whatever, how many times have you seen a person saying something like this? Hey, everyone, I have a big test tomorrow, or I have a big job interview, something, or a job I really want, or my uncle is sick, and so if you will please send all of your positive vibes my way. What in the world does that mean? Like, what do you... What do you have to believe in order for positive vibes, vibes to do anything? Or like it's deep in baseball season and you guys know I'm like stupid about the Houston Astros. I'm just like crazy about it. And like a good fan, you know, I'm getting anxious in the ninth inning. And, uh, you know, it's like bases are loaded. You know, there's only one out. And I'm like, whatever. And my co-fans will say, hey, bro you got to have faith. What does that mean? Like faith in what? Like if I have faith that uh, Justin Verlander throws a 99-mile-per-hour strike or, or Jordan Alvarez, if it, it, that he hits a home run, if I really believe it, does that actually help him to hit a home run? Listen, believers and skeptics alike have faith. To be human is to have faith. You can't escape this reality, even for the most committed atheist. Everyone plays on this field. And that is to say, everyone has these precognitive beliefs and intuitions about the nature of the world. And these are beliefs that you can't prove in a science lab. Every time you get angry about something, you're assuming that the universe is ordered in a certain way that makes sense of your anger, right? Again, no science experiment's gonna help you with that. You follow? So humans are incurably creatures of faith, and ironically, faith is the topic of intense and often justified cynicism. So Jesus, your king, knows this about you and about me, right? So today he's gonna help us to get our hearts around the nature of genuine and true faith. And how so? Well, in a second, we're going to study this passage we just learned about this account of Jesus cursing a fig tree. And as we study it, we're going to learn about one, note takers, here we are, biblical faith, and two, what biblical faith produces in us. And I am convinced, you guys, that the manner in which Jesus thinks about faith, on one hand, is going to dignify like your cynicism about counterfeit faith. But on the other hand, it's going to offer a vision for faith that is really satisfying to your soul, soul satisfaction. So with that, let's begin with the first question. Like, what is biblical faith? Now, um, as we've studied and said many times in the last several sermons, Jesus is delaying his crucifixion by telling his disciples to keep quiet about everything that he's up to. But now, now the time has come. Chapter 11 begins 
with what we call the triumphal entry. In chapter 11, Jesus is going to blow his cover um, and, and show you. He, he, this is, we're going to see him get crucified here in a second, and it's all, the beginning of the end is starting. Um, now, the triumphal entry, which is the section right before our passage, is what we celebrate like on Palm Sunday, right? So uh, what that is is Jesus enters Jerusalem like a king, only it's a little bit different, right? So you have the masses lining up on both sides of the street. They're laying down their palm branches. It's a, it's a kind of um, processional of sorts, just like it would be for a victorious king who's returning home after a war in which he was a victor, right? So people are on the streets, palm branches are down, and they're screaming Israel's national motto, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Now listen, you don't have to be particularly religious or spiritual to say um, God bless America, right? It's something you would scream at a political rally. Um, that's kind of what this is. That's what they're doing. So the Jews, what they're doing at this moment is they think, man, their guy has finally come to take Israel back from Rome, right? To make Israel great again, to build Israel back better, right? Something like that. Are y'all following here? So uh, Jesus was like completely disinterested, in their national goals. In fact, you know, kings are known to ride in on strong, powerful, kingly steeds. But Jesus was like, hey guys, can y'all go pick up a donkey for me? Uh, this would be like the president giving up his uh, presidential limo for like a 1980 Chevrolet El Camino. You know, like, is it a truck? Is it a car? Y'all know it's a little weird, right? Um, so Jesus, his arrival is going down a little bit different. He is not the king that you expected. So it seems for the moment, everyone is super religious and spiritual. And this is where our text this morning picks up. On the next day, so this is the Monday before Jesus is crucified, all right? This is the timeline. Jesus is with his disciples, and he does what he always does. He teaches them. But instead of giving them a parable, he acts out a parable, right? So he's about two miles outside of Jerusalem. Remember, there's no cars. They're walking. And Jesus spots a nice leafy fig tree. Now, this is the perfect occasion for a living parable. See, fig trees, you might not know this, are one of the premier symbols in the Old Testament to symbolize the nation of Israel. So here we are, a fig tree, which at first glance seems okay. Now in the springtime, in the springtime uh, figs are not in season, right? That's what the text tells us. But what they do have is they produce this winter nodule. And travelers like to go to these fig trees and grab the nodule because they, they are like a sweet treat, right? So you're walking, you grab one. It's like this nice delectable, sweet treat. But here's the thing. This tree, it was like a bait and switch. The promise of the leafy fig tree produced nothing. It was an unfruitful tree. And so for the first and only time, Jesus uses his supernatural powers to curse, right? Like every other time Jesus performs a miracle, he's always building up or he's always healing. Not here. 
divine judgment on a tree that is unfruitful. In verse 14, he says, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. Now, what did this tree ever do to Jesus? Don't be a tree hugger, Denver. Just kidding. It's not about the tree. Trees don't have feelings. This is a living parable of the unfruitfulness of Israel. Now, just the day before, they're all being religious, right? Well, what happens next? What happens next? No, you might have noticed in our text, we have, you know, verses and then it skips from verses 15 to 19, and then it picks back up. Did you notice that? We read both sides of what theologians call an inclusio. All right, everyone, theology brains on real quick. So between the first episode of Jesus interacting with this fig tree and the second episode of the fig tree, in between there is a story about Jesus clearing out the temple. So our text this morning is on both sides of Jesus clearing out the temple, which means that it is an, inter- an interpretation of that event. And we didn't read it. So what happened? What is Jesus so mad about that he's, that he's cursing fig trees? Well, here's the skinny. Every year at Passover, Jews from all over pa- Palestine had to tra- travel to the temple mount to offer a sacrifice with an animal. So guys are traveling all over the place, and um, it's significantly more difficult to travel with livestock, right? Because you got to, like, find water for them and grass and so forth. So instead of traveling with your livestock, what people would do is they would travel with cash and just buy the offering once they got there. So when you get to the actual temple, there are these three sections. So the innermost ring is, like, the Holy of Holies, And only the high priest could go there. The second ring is called the court of Israel. And only circumcised Jewish males were permitted there. But there's this outer ring, and it's called the court of the Gentiles. And this ring is really important. Women and non-Jews could enter the outer ring. And the idea with the outer ring is that it provides a place of prayer for everyone. Every nation, every tribe, every tongue to seek out the face of the God of Israel. So Jesus goes there, and what does he find? People from all over were coming, and they were using the court of the Gentiles to set up shop like a flea market, right? Now, on its face, this all seems really religious, right? They're selling animals for Passover. Uh, They're doing these kind of spiritual activities. This is like the leafy green appearance of the fig tree. But when you inspect closer, there is no fruit. They were price gouging on sacrificial animals. Get your brain around that. People are making massive profits on those who are coming to worship the God of Israel. So there are these money lenders and these animals. It's kind of like a circus, which is the exact opposite purpose for the court of the Gentiles, which was supposed to be a house of prayer for all people to seek the face of God. Now, if you have ever been upset by the commercialization of Christianity, and hopefully you have been a little bit, uh, you have nothing on Jesus. So Jesus marches inside, like takes off his belt, and like he gets after it. Read it. I'm not making this up. 
Now, I don't know what your perception of Jesus is, but the idea that he is a hippie and that would never make someone upset is totally false. Jesus is righteously angry. He's righteous, but he's angry. The temple has been intended to symbolize God's dwelling with Israel for the sake of the world, but it had come to symbolize not God's welcome to the nations, but God's exclusion of them. And Jesus was sick of it. That day, Jesus confirmed the suspicions of his enemies, and this was the beginning of the, of the end. His, blood, his cover was blown after that episode. So what's the point? The faith of Israel and the entire sacrificial system was a complete fraud, just like the fig tree. It was leafy. It said Hosanna in the highest. It was doing religious stuff, but it was all fake. And Jesus was ending it all completely and forever. And thus he speaks a word of divine judgment over the fig tree. And just as it was for the fig tree, Israel's done. Their time had come. Now, now, this is important to understand, if you want to see the face of God, you don't have to go to the circus anymore. You can go straight to Jesus. And in fact, you must. And the object lesson teaches us about biblical faith. And it does it through a warning and a blessing. And here's the warning. Here's the warning. True biblical faith is not tantamount to doing religious activities. I don't care how many Bible studies you do. I don't care how many elderly people you've helped across the street. I don't care uh, if your family is generally religious. Um, I don't care if you are committed to social justice. I don't care if you are green and leafy. True biblical faith is not religious activity by itself. It is transformation and responsiveness to God's word. You can't blow God off and say that you have faith because faith is something different. It's not just about being a good person. It's about being a person desperately in need of Jesus. It means that you know, I mean, you know that you were ransomed, that you were purchased for something. God's own greatness must begin to transform you from the inside. So if like you're an angry person, someone who would know you well would say, hey, Ronnie, you're really starting to turn a corner. Like it's not perfect, but you're starting to turn a corner. Or if you're anxious or impatient or fearful, someone who loves you, who knows you, a friend would say, hey, I can see that you're not, you're not taking yourself too seriously the way you used to. Or I can really, I can see you starting to trust the Lord. Is there a sweet fruit being produced in you? You see. So that's the warning about biblical faith, but there's also a blessing. Like what is the substance, for instance? What is the substance of your faith? It's not that you have faith in the topic of faith, right? You don't have faith in faith. Your faith, if it is authentic, says, Jesus, you're not gonna find in me more price gouging, right? I'm not trying to pay for anything. It is free. It's free. Someone had to pay for it, but it wasn't you. 
It was Jesus. Jesus paid it all so that it would be free for you. You can't earn it. The only thing that you can do is hopelessly fall into the arms of your Savior. There is no cost. You drink from a well with money that you do not have because it is free. Let the the freeness of salvation enchant your heart until you are not cynical, not suspicious, but loyal to the Savior, the crucified one. So the first episode of the fig tree, that's verses 12 through 14, it gave us a peek into true, genuine, biblical faith. But now we're on the second half of the inclusio, the second episode. It's going to help us more specifically identify how biblical faith is expressed, right? It's the second part. So we asked first, what is biblical faith? And now we're at, how is it expressed? So in between, after Jesus gets done cleaning house at the temple, he says, come on, boys, let's go. Now the next morning, he passes by the same fig tree. And so Peter, verse 21, says, Rabbi, look, the fig tree that you cursed is withered. Wow, that was fast. Yeah, it was a miracle. Jesus does stuff like that. Right. So what precisely does Jesus want his disciples to learn? He says, verse 22, have faith in God. Okay, great. What does that mean? Jesus continues, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. All right, I got to deal with this. So let's just stop right here. Uh, you know, it's interesting, uh, Lauren Treat and I were just talking about um, some of the abuses in the church that really need to be explained and handled very uh, intentionally, because it, this can be very harmful, because this might be one of the most improperly used verses in the entire Bible. Listen up. Jesus is not making some generic axiom here. He's not saying, hey, guys, if you could just conjure up enough faith, you can actually manipulate the natural world. Like, if I just believe that the Astros will win, and if I have no doubt in my heart, it will happen, Right? Jesus is not instituting a name-it-and-claim-it theology. And in fact, it is offensive. God is not a vending machine who can be manipulated by your imagination. He will not be trifled with. You know, I heard um, a story of a pastor who was speaking to the widow whose husband died of cancer, saying... I guess you didn't have enough faith or perhaps there was a little bit of doubt in your prayers. This is detestable. Like it's disgusting. I want you to hear the anger in my voice because it's so perverse and it's hurtful. And sadly, sadly, it's actually gaining a little bit of interest among certain mega evangelical movements. And I don't want that. That is not what Jesus is saying. Let me explain. If you'll notice, look in your Bibles in verse 23. It says, this mountain, this mountain. It doesn't say throw a mountain. It says this mountain. What is the mountain that Jesus is citing? 
It's the mountain inside of the inclusio, right? It's the temple mount, the place that Jesus had just come from and cleaned out. In this text, Jesus is speaking about the certain disbandment of the sacrificial system and all that the temple represents. No longer do you need a lamb to be slaughtered because you have Jesus, the once and forever sacrificial lamb who was sacrificed for you. Jesus is inviting his disciples, and indeed he is inviting you, into a new reality where loyalty to God is loyalty to Jesus through his sacrifice. If you want to be made right with God, religious activities can't do that. Submission to Christ alone. And you will know this is happening because he is changing you. You've got to understand this. I read another story that there's this guy who's on a plane. He's boarding the plane. He's getting really belligerent, right, with the flight attendants. He appears to be stone drunk. Uh, he's loud. He's obnoxious. And everyone, you know, everyone around him is getting super uncomfortable. And this guy spots Billy Graham. And so Billy Graham apparently is sitting in the seat right behind him, to which this man says, wow. Mr. Graham, like I heard you speak 10 years ago, totally changed my life. I'm a new creation. I was saved. Right? Right? Y'all see what I'm, it's weird. Now, I'm not trying to get judgy because I'm obnoxious sometimes too, but something is not right with that story, with that reality. Here in our text, Jesus assumes that for his disciples, biblical faith will change their entire palette of desires and longings and choices. That's how come in verse 24, he says, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. In other words, your entire menu of possibilities for what you even desire, what you would even ask for, will be wrapped up into God's own heart, not just your personal agenda. It's one thing to bear the name of Jesus, but it is another thing to bear the fruit of Jesus. Y'all see that? How do you know if you have the fruit of Jesus? Well, here are two ways. First, when you ask God for something and he says no, when you ask, for God, ask God for something and he says no, you'll begin to receive it a certain way. You know, Jesus in the garden, he's gonna ask his father, he's like, Lord, Father, let this cup pass from me, but not my will, your will be done. He drank the cup, you see. What do you do with God's no to your prayer requests? Because my desire is that you're so in love with Jesus that you would have no doubt that God's no is as good as his yes. In his no, I want you to say, I found him closer. That I am more aware of him in one single no than I am in a thousand yeses. Because I don't want just something from Jesus. It's that I want Jesus. 
This is what Jesus is pushing us towards, to know him in gladness, but to know him in sorrow. And the second fruit of biblical faith is this. A believing heart is a forgiving heart. A believing heart is a forgiving heart. In verse 25, Jesus says, forgive if you have anything against anyone. Why is this so important? Because it takes so much faith to forgive. Like when you forgive, instead of paying back, instead of paying back in that moment of suffering for not demanding justice, not demanding payback, you're believing in faith that God is gonna take care of you. Do you see how much faith that takes? You don't have to take things in your own hands of judgment because you are convinced by faith that Jesus will take care of you. You're saying, Jesus, I, I'm a counterfeit and you loved me because you're convinced that Jesus will take care of you, right? Jesus, you, you see my junk. Like you see my lies and you still forgive me. I trust you to take care of me. And so I'm gonna treat others with that same grace, Lord. A believing heart is a forgiving heart. So allow me to quickly conclude. So this morning we looked at this inclusio, this, this living parable of Jesus cursing a fig tree. Why did he do it? It was all fake. And just like that leafy green fig tree, it was all show, no substance. And in fact, that's what the temple represented. All this religious activity and no real responsiveness or transformation by Christ. This is the content of true biblical faith. Listen, remember, the whole world has faith. Well, whether you believe in God or not, everyone has faith. And in fact, there's so much hypocrisy, even in the church, that it makes us cynical. So Jesus, he takes time to teach us about biblical faith and its proper expression. Now listen, this particular chapter, the context, it begins, right, Palm Sunday with a bunch of religious people receiving Jesus with praises, words, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. That was on a Sunday, five days later. That same crowd who with their lips said, Hosanna in the highest, they would shout again. And this time it would be, crucify him. Crucify him. Say mouth. Here's what I want you to know. They screamed, crucify him. And Jesus said, yes. And he gladly went to the cross. Not because they said so, but because he wanted to. Why? Because he wanted to make sure that those same people screaming crucify him, those cynical ones, those suspicious ones, that one day those would end up with him. Jesus did everything 
to make his enemies friends, to make his enemies family. So no one, no religion offers this. You see that? Who does that? It's Jesus. He did it for you. Would you let this enchant the structures of your imagination? Let it reshape your faith? Like, would you just like let the text do that? You have to say yes to the Lord. It'll move cynicism to affection for Jesus, the King, the Savior. Amen. Amen.